Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on with our story time. On the 19th of October, Naum staggered into Ami's house with hideous news. A death had come to poor Thaddeus in the attic room and it had come in a way which could not be told. Naum had dug a grave in the railed family plot behind the farm, and he had put therein what he found. There could have been nothing from outside, for the small barreled window and locked door were intact, but it was much as if it had been in the barn. Ami and his wife, consoled the stricken man as best they could, but they shuddered as they did so. Stark terror seemed to cling around the gardeners and all they touched, and the very presence of one in the house was a breath from regions unnamed and unnameable. Ami accompanied Naum home with the greatest reluctance and did what he might to calm the hysterical sobbing of little Merwin. Zenas needed no calming. He had come of late to do nothing but stare into space and obey what his father told him. Ami thought that this fate was very merciful. Now and then Merwin's screams were answered faintly from the attic, and in response to an inquiring look, Nahum said that his wife was getting very feeble. When night approached, Ami managed to get away, for not even friendship could make him stay in that spot when the faint glow of the vegetation began, and the trees may or may not have swayed without wind. It was very lucky for Ami that he was not more imaginative. Even as things were, his mind was bent ever so slightly but he had been able to connect and reflect upon all of the portents around him, and he must inevitably have turned a total maniac. In the twilight he hastened home. The screams of the mad woman and the nervous child ringing horribly in his ears. Three days later, Naum lurched into Ami's kitchen in the early morning, and in the absence of his host, stammered out a desperate tale once more, while Mrs. Pierce listened in a clutching fright. It was little Merwin this time. He was gone. He had gone out late at night with a lantern and pail for water, and he never came back. He'd been going to pieces for days, and hardly knew what he was about. He screamed at everything. There had been a frantic shriek from the front yard then, but before the father could get to the door, the boy was gone. There was no glow from the lantern he had taken, and of the child, there was no trace. At the time, Naum thought the lantern and pail were gone too, but when dawn came, and the man had plodded back from his all-night search of the woods. 
he had found some very curious things near the well. There was a crushed and apparently somewhat melted mass of iron, which had certainly been the lantern, while a bent ball and twisted iron hoops were beside it, both half-fused. This seemed to hint at the remnants of a pail, and that was all. Noun was past imagining. Mrs. Pierce was blank, and Ami, when he reached home and heard of the tale, could give no guess. Merwin was gone, and there would be no use in telling the people around, who shunned all of the gardeners now. No use either in telling the city people of Arkham, who laughed at everything. Thad was gone, and now Merwin was gone. Something was creeping and creeping and waiting to be seen and felt and heard. Now would go soon, and he wanted Ami to look after his wife and Zenas if they survived him. It must all be a judgment of some sort, though he could not fancy what for since he had always walked uprightly in the Lord's way, so far as he knew. For over two weeks, Ami saw nothing of Naum, and then, worried about what might have happened, he overcame his fears and paid the gardener place a visit. There was no smoke from the great chimney, and for a moment, the visitor was apprehensive of the worst. The aspect of the whole farm was shocking. Grayish, withered grass and leaves on the ground. Vines falling in brittle wreckage from archaic walls and gables. And great bare trees clawing up at the great November sky. They had a studied malevolence, which Ami could not help but feel, had come from some subtle change in the tilt of the branches. But Naum was alive after all. Ami found him weak and lying on the couch in the low-ceilinged kitchen, but perfectly conscious and able to give simple orders to Zenas. The room was deadly cold, and as Ami visibly shivered, the host shouted huskily to Zenas for more wood. Wood, indeed, was sorely needed since the cavernous fireplace was unlit and empty. There was a cloud of soot blowing about in the chill wind coming down from the chimney. Presently, Naum asked him if the extra wood had made him any more comfortable, and then Ami saw what had happened. The stoutest cord had broken at last, and the hapless farmer's mind was proof against more sorrow. Questioning tactfully, Ami could get no clear data at all about the missing Zenas. In the well, he lives in the well, was all that the clouded father would say. Then there flashed across the visitor's mind a sudden thought of the mad wife, and he changed his line of inquiry. Nabby, why, here she is, was the surprised response of poor Naum. Ami soon saw that he must search for himself, 
leaving the harmless babbler on the couch. He took the keys from their nail beside the door and climbed the creaking stairs into the attic. It was very close and tight up there, and no sound could be heard from any direction. Of the four doors in sight, only one was locked, and on this he tried various keys from the ring he had taken. The third key proved the right one, and after some fumbling, Ami threw open the low white door. It was quite dark inside, for the window was small and half obscured by the crude wooden bars. Ami could see nothing at all of the wide planked floor. The stench was beyond enduring, and before proceeding further, he had to retreat to another room and return with his lungs filled with breathable air. When he did enter, he saw something dark in the corner, and upon seeing it more clearly, he screamed outright. While he screamed, he thought, a momentary cloud eclipsed the window, and a second later he felt himself brushed, as if by some hateful current of vapor. Strange colors danced before his eyes, and had not a present horror numbed him, he would have thought of the globule and the meteor that the geologist Hammer had shattered, and of the morbid vegetation that had sprouted in the spring. As it was, he thought only of the blasphemous monstrosity which confronted him, and which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about this horror was that it was very slow, but perceptibly moved as it continued to grumble. Ami would give no added particulars to this scene, but the shape in the corner does not reappear in his tail as a moving object. There are things which cannot be mentioned, and what is done in common humanity is sometimes cruelly judged by the law. When gathered that no moving thing was left in that attic room, and that to leave anything capable of motion there would have been a deed so monstrous as to damn any accountable being to eternal torment. Anyone but a stolid farmer would have fainted or gone mad. But Ami walked, conscious, through that low doorway and locked the accursed secret behind him. There would be no Naum to deal with now. He must be fed and tended, and removed to some place where he can be cared for. Commencing his descent of the dark stairs, Ami heard a low thud below him. He even thought a scream had suddenly been choked off. He recalled nervously the clammy vapor which had brushed by him in that frightful room above. What presence had his cry and entry started up? Halted by some vague fear, he heard still further sounds below. Certainly, there was a sort of heavy dragging, and a most detestably sticking noise, as some fiendish and unclean species of suction, with an associative sense goaded to feverish heights. He thought unaccountably of what he had seen upstairs. Oh no, 
What eldritch dream world was this into which he had blundered? He dared move neither backward nor forward, but stood there, trembling, at the black curve of the boxed-in staircase. Every trifle of the scene burned itself into his brain. The sounds, the sense of dread expectancy, the darkness, the steepness of the narrow stairs, the faint but unmistakable luminosity of all the woodwork in sight. Steps, sides, exposed laugh, beams alike, and there burst forth a frantic whinny from Ami's horse outside, followed at once by a clatter which told of a frenzied runaway. In another moment, horse and buggy had gone beyond earshot, leaving the frightened man on the dark stairs to guess what had sent them away. But that was not all. There had been another sound out there. A sort of liquid splash. Water, perhaps. It must have been the well. He had left Hero and died near it. And a buggy wheel must have brushed the copping and knocked in a stone. And still the pale phosphorescence glowed in that detestably ancient woodwork. How old this house was. Most of it built before 1670, on a gambrel roof not later than 1730. The feeble scratching on the floor downstairs now sounded distinctly. Ami's grip tightened on the heavy stick he had picked up in the attic for some purpose. Slowly nerving himself, he finished his descent and walked boldly towards the kitchen. But he did not complete this walk because what he sought was no longer there. It had come to meet him, and it was still alive after a fashion. Whether it had crawled, or whether it had been dragged by an external force, Ami could not say. But the death had been at it. Everything had happened in the last half hour, but collapse, graying, and disintegration were already far advanced. There was a horrible brittleness, and dry fragments were scaling off. Ami could not touch it, but look horrified in the distorted parody that had been a face. Was it Naum? What was it, he whispered. And the cleft, bulging lips were just able to crackle out a final answer. Nothing. Nothing. The color... It burns, cold and wet, but it burns. It lived in the well. I seen it, a kind of smoke, just like the flowers last spring. The well shone at night, sad and burning in zenith, everything else, sucking the life out of everything in that stone. It must have come from that stone. Pisoned the whole place. Don't know what it wants. The round thing those men from the college dug from the stone. They smashed it. It was that same color. Just the same. Like the flowers and plants. Must have been more of them. Seeds. Seeds. They grew. 
But I seen it for the first time this week. Must have got strong on Zenas. He was a big boy, full of life. It beats down your mind, and then it gets you. Burns you up. In the well water. You were right about that, Ami. Evil water. Zenas never came back from the well. He can't get away. It draws ye. You know something's coming, but it ain't no use. I seen it time and again since Zenas was took. Mommy, my head's no good. Don't know how long since I fed Nabby. It'll get her if we aren't careful. Just a color. Her face is getting to have that color sometimes towards night. And it burns and sucks. It came from some place where things aren't as they are here. One of those professors said so. He was right, Ami. Look out, Ami. It'll do something more. It'll suck the life out. Mommy stared at Nalum, who could speak no more, because his face had caved completely in. Mommy laid a red checkered tablecloth over what was left, and reeled out the back door into the fields, and climbed the slope to the ten-acre pasture, and stumbled home by the road north, and the woods. He could not pass that well, from which his horse had run away. He had looked at it through the window and had seen that no stone was missing from the rim. Then the lurching buggy had not dislodged anything after all. The splash had been something else, something which went into the well after it was done with poor Naum. When Ami reached his house, the horse and buggy had arrived before him and thrown his wife into fits of anxiety. Reassuring her without explanations, he set out at once for Arkham, and notified the authorities that the Gardner family was no more. He indulged in no details, but merely told of the deaths of Naum and Nabby, that of Thaddeus being already known, and mentioned that the cause seemed to be some strange ailment which had also killed the livestock. He also stated that Merwin and Zenas had disappeared. There was considerable questioning at the police station, and in the end, Ami was compelled to take three officers to the Gardner farm, together with a coroner, the medical examiner, and the veterinary who had treated the diseased animals. He went much against his will, for the afternoon was advancing, and he feared the fall of night over that accursed place. But it was some comfort to have so many people with him. The six men drove out in a wagon, following Ami's buggy, and arrived at the pest-ridden farmhouse around four o'clock. The officers were used to gruesome experiences, but not one of them remained unmoved at what was found in the attic and under the red-checked tablecloth on the floor below. The whole aspect of the farm with its gray desolation was terrible enough, but those two crumbling objects were beyond all bounds. No one could look long at them, and even the medical examiner admitted 
but there was very little left to examine. Specimens could be analyzed, of course, so he busied himself in obtaining them. And here it develops that a very puzzling aftermath occurred at the college laboratory, where the two files of dust were finally taken. Under the spectroscope, both samples gave off an unknown spectrum. Many of the baffling bands were precisely like those which the strange meteor had yielded in the previous year. The property of emitting this spectrum vanished in a month. The dust thereafter, consisting mainly of alkaline phosphates and carbonates, Omi would not have told the men about the well if he had thought they meant to do anything then and there. It was getting toward sunset, and he was anxious to be away but he could not help glancing nervously at the stony curb by the great sweep. And when a detective questioned him, he admitted that Naum had feared something down there, so much so that he had never even thought of searching it. After that, nothing would do but that they empty and explore the well immediately. So Ami had to wait, trembling, while pail after pail of rank water was hauled up, and splashed on the soaking ground outside. The men sniffled in disgust at the fluid, and toward the last, held their noses against the feeder they were uncovering. It was not so long a job as they had feared, since the water was phenomenally low. There was no need to speak too exactly of what they found. Merwin and Zenas were both there, in part, though the vestiges were mainly skeletal. There was also a small deer, and a large dog, in about the same state, and a number of bones of smaller animals. The ooze and slime at the bottom seemed inexplicably porous and bubbling, and a man who descended on handholds of a long pole found that he could sink the wooden shaft to any depth in the mud of the floor without ever meeting any solid obstruction. Twilight had now fallen, and lanterns were brought from the house. Then, when it was seen that nothing further could be gained from the well, everyone went indoors and conferred in the ancient sitting room. The intermittent light of a spectral half-moon played wanely on the gray desolation outside. The men were frankly nonplussed by the entire case, and could find no convincing common element to link the strange vegetable conditions, the unknown disease of livestock and humans, and the unaccountable deaths of Merwin and Zenas in that tainted well. They had heard the common country talk, it is true, but could not believe that anything contrary to natural law had occurred. No doubt the meteor had poisoned the soil, but the illness of persons and animals who had eaten nothing grown in that soil, was another matter. Was it the well water? Very possibly. It might be a good idea to analyze it, but what peculiar madness could have made both boys jump into the well? Their deeds were so similar, and the fragments showed they had both suffered from the gray, brittle death. Why was everything so gray and brittle? And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, 
revealed that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.